The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations from listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely online at kopn.org. Thank you. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today, I am delighted to welcome my guest, Ms. Stacy Malkin. She is co-founder and managing editor at U.S. Right to Know, a nonprofit investigative research group based in Oakland, California, but working globally to expose corporate wrongdoing and government failures that threaten our health, environment, and food system. Ms. Malkin largely investigates and reports on pesticide and food industry PR and lobbying operations. She is the lead author, along with Dr. Kendra Klein at Friends of the Earth and Anna LaPay, executive director of the Global Alliance of the Future of Food, of a brand new report titled Merchants of Poison, How Monsanto Sold the World on a Toxic Pesticide. It's a case study in disinformation, corrupted science, and manufactured doubt about glyphosate. This report reveals the tactics used by pesticide manufacturers to discredit scientists, including a case study of Monsanto's efforts to suppress the findings of an International Agency for Research on Cancer panel on cancer concerns associated with glyphosate. This report, as well as many others exposing corruption in food, agriculture, and health organizations, appears at U.S. Right to Know's website, which is www.usrtk.org. You may have heard Stacy on this program before. She is an author of an award-winning book, Not Just a Pretty Face, The Ugly Side of the Beauty Industry, and co-founder of the Campaign for Safe Cosmetics, which is a national coalition of health groups that exposed hazardous chemicals in personal care and baby products. She's been cited and featured in Time Magazine, The New York Times, Washington Post, Good Morning America, The Wall Street Journal, and many more. Welcome, Stacey. Thank you so much for having me, Melinda. I'm really glad to be here. Before we dive into this particular report, I wonder if you could tell me about U.S. Right to Know. How did you become involved with this organization? What led you to start it? We started U.S. Right to Know in 2015. My fellow co-founder, Gary Ruskin, and I, we had worked together on a campaign in California to label genetically engineered foods. That was a question put to voters, and there was a lot of industry pushback, an extremely aggressive campaign to get people to vote against a simple label. The pesticide industry led by Monsanto, also the food companies, spent $45 million in the course of about a month beating back this ballot initiative. And they did it with a blizzard of lies, disinformation, confusion. And when we got through that experience, we really wanted to know, how does that work? How are the companies influencing what professors say, what scientists say? Because we saw the same inaccurate talking points coming from so many sources. So we wanted to get under the hood of that And Gary initiated what became a a years-long project to investigate through public records requests what was happening with these publicly funded academics, how they were working with pesticide companies, food companies, and their PR firms to participate 
in disinformation and product defense campaigns. So we got tons of documents over the years that companies never thought would see the light of day from that investigation. And then we also, of course, had many documents come out of the Monsanto crypt from the trials with now over 100,000 people suing them with claims that exposure to glyphosate-based Roundup caused their cancers. So the discovery documents in those trials added a lot to the public record. So we, we just have a huge trove of information, which is the basis of our Merchants of Poison report to show how the pesticide industry is running their science denial and disinformation. Well, this is an incredible report. It is so well-researched, but I am really glad that you mentioned the label GMO campaign, because if you talk to anybody on the street and you say, would you like a label on your food? Most people said, yeah, you know, give me more information. And then I remember the campaign. It seemed as if it was going to pass. There was a lot of public support for it. And then suddenly, as you say, those $45 million put out a lot of misleading statements. Shamefully, there was a registered dietitian who was part of that PR scheme that said, we don't need GMO labels. And so I'm so glad that that was at the heart of this organization. And you've continued to do that kind of in-depth research. So thank you. Oh, yeah. Well, people have a right to know. And that's what this is all about. And that was a painful experience, but an illuminating one. And we've now really are proud of the work we've been able to do coming out of that to excavate and expose some of the strategies that companies are using. And they're very aggressive, very desperate strategies to mislead and misinform the public about the health harms of pesticides and also ultra-processed foods. You know, I really like that word that you use, their desperation. That is such a perfect way to describe their attacks on anybody who tries to get the truth out. They are desperately trying to take away any kind of transparency in the food and agriculture realm. That's correct. And I think what's happening is the science is catching up with them. The science is very strong about the health harms posed by these products. And so the companies are fighting in so many different ways to just keep their profit lines going. And that does literally come down to extreme focus on individuals. And you've felt some of these attacks yourself, I'm sure. And so have I. They go after people personally and they try to tamp down debate in every way about the harms and concerns of pesticides, GMOs, and also ultra-processed foods. It's really all of a piece, the whole system, with these commodity crops that are saturated with pesticides and genetically engineered to resist pesticides being used to create a whole new genre of ultra-processed foods and cell-cultured meats and, and all these newfangled foods that are not really foods. We know that ultra-processed foods are one of the greatest health harms in our current modern society. And that I think I read recently that 60% of the food that adults consume and even more for kids in the United States are ultra-processed foods. Right. And as we learn more about the microbiome and how essential it is for us to have whole fiber-rich foods, and then partnering that with agriculture, I so appreciate your focus on herbicides because what we see happening in the human gut, we also see happening in the soil. And you start this report out with why is this report important and what we have to lose. So maybe we should talk about that. Why did you choose to write this report now? What is at stake? 
the health of all of us is at stake, the future of our children, the future of our ability to feed ourselves with a healthy, reliable food supply. The stakes are so high. And the Monsanto papers in these documents have been well covered in the press. There's just such a wealth of details and information in there about the many, many ways that not just Monsanto, but the whole pesticide and food industry is working to misinform the public and keep the truth hidden. We felt what we could add to what's already been written is a deep dive into what the documents tell us about the playbook, the playbook that Monsanto used. And they were just the leaders. Again, it was all the top pesticide firms and processed food companies helped them, including also academics, professors, dietitians, and many other third parties that they rely on to spread their messaging. How they worked their campaigns to keep glyphosate on the market, to beat back the science concerns and cancer concerns. And so they did that in many ways. We ended up focusing on five tactics that we really felt are the key ways that the industry really follows in the footsteps, along with the tobacco industry and fossil fuel, on how they misinform the public. So those tactics are corrupting the science, co-opting professors and universities, they also deploy a huge range of other third parties, groups, and people who seem independent, but they're not. They run attacks, just full-on attacks against scientists personally, scientific bodies, journalists, and others who are raising concerns about the products. And they also have a lot of strategies to dominate the conversation online. So those are the five areas we looked at. And it's all based on their own internal documents, their own words, and the tactics. They're aggressive, expensive multifaceted. They're designed to sow doubt, create confusion and attack and discredit and tamp down debate. So it's really coming at you from so many angles, it's hard to see. And we felt it was important to break it down and show the many ways and the specifics about who's doing this, how they're doing it, and what the impact is. And I'm really glad you brought up dominating online spaces, because when I was doing some media literacy work, I learned that when people do a Google search, for example, rarely do we go beyond the first or second page of what comes back. And so if you can get your website on that first page or as one of the first, say, five resources that comes up when you do a search on a topic, then your words are going to have more influence. And you describe how this happens and how there are these groups that are set up to make sure that the corporate entity gets their profit-generating message up there first. Yes, I'm so glad you brought that up because to me it was one of the most disturbing findings in the report. And we focus on a group called the Genetic Literacy Project, which is a straight-up front group. For years they denied having any corporate funding, but we could see in the documents they worked directly with companies like Monsanto to do product defense projects. And now they're admitting that they're funded by Bayer or they're saying publicly that they are. So straight corporate funding. They also put out a tremendous amount of output. So they were one of the groups that Monsanto reached out to to try to discredit the International Agency for Research on Cancer, which said in 2015 that glyphosate is a probable human carcinogen. So the Genetic Literacy Project has posted since over 200 articles about the science panel, including many direct attacks on the scientists themselves, accusing them of all kinds of things, of lying, corruption, fraud. These are 
independent scientists who research cancer and do it as a volunteer for this World Health Organization panel. They accuse them of being driven by profit and vanity. I mean, it's just crazy attacks. And many of these attacks were written by former pesticide industry lobbyists or climate science denialists. But yet this group, despite that level of lacking integrity, is rising to the top of Google News searches frequently on many topics of importance to the pesticide industry. So I did searches over several years, actually, for example, pesticides in food or cancer and glyphosate. And this group was showing up the first, second, third, sometimes the top five Google News search returns. And as you said, a lot of people aren't looking past that first page. So these front groups are really figuring out how to do the huge amount of content and keep it rising up the top of Google News. They were also partnering with universities and professors to do training programs to teach journalists and scientists how to promote and defend GMOs and pesticides. They also had partnerships with the U.S. government to do messaging projects. So these discredited groups have not yet been discredited, and they have too much reach and too much power. So we're just trying to shine light on that, and we need to find ways to hold journalists in universities and science journals and many others accountable to disclosing conflicts of interest and not using these sources that are discredited themselves. Yeah. Stacey, let me take one break because I want to remind our listeners that if you're just joining us, you're tuned into Food Sleuth Radio. We are speaking with Ms. Stacey Malkin. She is co-founder and managing editor at U.S. Right to Know, which is a nonprofit investigative research group. And they have released a new report titled Merchants of Poison, How Monsanto Sold the World on a Toxic Pesticide. It's a case study in disinformation, corrupted science, and manufactured doubt about glyphosate. And Stacey, we should probably mention that even though this particular report hones in on Monsanto, now owned by Bayer, this is really how all of the pesticide industry works, as well as what we see with the tobacco industry and the fossil fuel industry. In fact, early on in your report, you have an image of some tobacco executives getting ready to testify in Congress. And they're all holding up their hand saying nicotine is not addictive. And that really sets the stage for the rest of the report. Well, their own documents show that they knew they were lying. And that's what's happening with these companies and these industries is that their own documents and modern science is catching up with them and showing them to be lying and corrupting and using all these tactics to keep toxic, harmful products on the market. I'm glad you brought this up, too, because while we do focus on Monsanto and Bayer, first of all, their documents implicate the entire pesticide industry. So all the top companies were involved and many of the processed food companies, too. And then, as you said, we see again and again and again in corporate documents, it's not just glyphosate, but many other chemicals as well, chlorpyrifos, dicamba, paraquat, PCBs, atrazine, PFAS, all these individual chemicals or classes of chemicals of concern, we see similar stories coming out in corporate documents that there were major efforts to corrupt or cover up, hide evidence of harm, lie to the public, get a bunch of third parties saying it's safe, influencing the EPA and government agencies to not regulate these harmful products, and getting away with this for decades. 
So we have a huge problem that we have got to find a way to address for the health of our families and our children. Right. And you bring up an important point, and that has to do with science. And what many of these groups do, and when I say many of these groups, I mean the trade associations and the front groups that are really mouthpieces for the pesticide industry or the highly processed food industries. They are the first to stand up and say, we represent science. But I think it's imperative to start questioning whose science are we talking about? Are we talking about older science on which the EPA depends, especially if they're getting it from industry? Or are we talking about some of the newer research that is conducted by physicians who don't have any connection with these industries who are saying, no, we need to take a close look at how these different chemical compounds and these ultra-processed foods are influencing us even at a genetic level? Yes. And there are many, many ways that corporations influence and bias scientific research and health research. And the National Academy of Sciences has a report actually out about that very topic and with many public health experts speaking out about the ways that corporate sponsors influence the science in lots of ways that to give us a body of research that it is not helpful and in some ways is straight up product defense, public relations, and not science at all. So I think these companies do need to be called to account and expose that they are not at all pro-science. They are working for profit, period, and they're cooking the books to create science that supports their points of view. But there's also, you mentioned old science, and I think that's really important. I wanted to read a quote from Pete Myers. He's an epidemiologist, and he says, regulatory agencies use science out of the Jurassic era, and that actually the use of modern science and modern scientific techniques would be an existential threat to the chemical industry as we know it. So these companies are really relying on old, outdated scientific methods. And this in the glyphosate case was proven. There was a study out of the University of Vienna And they looked at 53 studies that had been submitted to European regulators by chemical companies to prove supposedly show glyphosate safety. And only two of them were up to modern standards of science. And none of them actually used the best methods for detecting cancer. So these are companies that don't want to know if their products cause harm. If they see evidence of harm, they're going to use lots of tricks to not follow that lead. So that's a big problem, and we really need to be looking at some big solutions for that. And the NASM conference, which again, they just put out a report, was a good start at getting some high-level focus on that. We have a post about that on our website, usrtk.org. Great. And I will make sure that that is in our show notes. I want to talk about the third-party allies, because I don't think it's obvious that when we hear some of these names, it's not clear that these organizations would be tied to industry. So you mentioned the Genetic Literacy Project. They also have a Science Literacy Project. You know, that sounds great. But American Council on Science and Health, the Center for Food Integrity, GMO Answers, that's operated by the pesticide industry, Crop Life America, that's their umbrella organization. So when you see these titles, you wouldn't automatically think that they were industry or profit-driven. They sound pretty credible. They are sciencey sounding groups, but they are straight-up product defense groups. And they exist for the purpose of 
confusing the public about science. And they have a huge reach. They have large budgets in many cases, and they're very sneaky because you can't see the links to industry, but we see them in the documents. The American Council on Science and Health is a great example. They've been around since the late 1970s and are often quoted in the press as an independent source, but their own documents show them pitching their product defense campaigns to companies. So Monsanto goes to them and says, hey, can you help defend us against cancer concerns? And they put out posts defending glyphosate against cancer concerns. And they were also working with the cosmetics industry, pharmaceutical, oil, tobacco. They pitch e-cigarettes, you know, as safe. So they really exist to say, don't worry about the science raising health concerns, not a problem. The Monsanto documents are so clear on this point on the third parties, which is, as one PR professional said, it's a tactic of putting your words in somebody else's mouth. People might not trust Monsanto or Bayer, So those companies are putting their words in somebody else's mouth. And it's a lot of mouthpieces out there. It's trade groups, professional groups, sometimes dietitian groups or beekeeper groups, growers groups, food industry stakeholders were named in these documents to where some of the bigger groups like Center for Food Integrity and the International Food Information Council. As you said, these are like neutral, positive sounding groups, but they were tasked with spreading Monsanto's messaging about glyphosate, that we don't have to worry about the low doses in our food or getting into our bodies because we say it's safe. Well, I can give you testimony with the International Food Information Council. I get emails from them as a dietitian, especially when reports about pesticide concerns on produce come out. And you see the trade groups that are working with, say, the produce manufacturers There's a joint effort with the agrochemical groups and the processed food groups. And I don't know that people would automatically understand why. Like, for example, earlier you said you were working on the GMO labeling issue in California. I remember going back and looking at who is funding the anti-campaign. Who doesn't want us to know that a food or a beverage is from a genetically engineered crop? So you wouldn't think that Monsanto would be a big funder, or you wouldn't think that the soft drink industry would be a big funder, but those were the biggest contributors to the Don't Label GMO campaign. Right. And and they spent enormous amounts of money. There was $100 million spent to defeat four state ballot initiatives. And then in our Merchants of Poison report, we looked at the groups that we're talking about today and their budgets. The one specifically named in Monsanto's glyphosate defense documents. And we found $1.4 billion spent over the course of five years on these kinds of product defense efforts and easily tens of millions of dollars on the the sciencey sounding front groups and food groups that act like they want us to have correct information, but are just doing product defense for companies. So it's important to see all that. It's a lot of disinformation coming at us from a lot of different angles. But what do they have in common? I think that's a really important theme because it's very clear when you wade through all this that our food system is so dependent and locked into these huge monocultures of commodity crops. That's mostly what we're growing in the United States. If you fly over the Midwest, you see these huge sort of dead zones that are used to grow monocultures of largely corn, and soy, genetically engineered to 
tolerate glyphosate, which since that's no longer working, the weeds are getting around it, they're adding more and more chemicals, 2,4-D, dicamba, and figuring out ways to genetically engineer crops to survive those chemicals, which is just ramping up the use of all those chemicals. But then those crops are not even really being used to feed people. They're going to feed cows in factory farms, biofuels for cars, and ultra-processed foods. So soy oils, corn syrup, you know, why does Coke and the ultra-processed food companies defend the system? Because they're using the corn syrup. And this stuff is so unhealthy. We know that from the science. So it's an entirely sick and dangerous system that's literally making people sick and seriously harming the environment and our ability to grow food into the future. Exactly. I want to recommend this report highly. In addition to why is this so important from health, climate, and biodiversity perspectives, you take a deep dive into the spin, how science is corrupted, how academics are co-opted, cultivating these third-party allies, how scientists are attacked and tracked, weaponizing the web. And then finally, you tell us what we can do. And I think that's critically important. You've got solutions. You empower us to be smarter consumers and to go after the transparency that is so threatening to these big organizations. Is there anything that you for sure want our listeners to know? Well, there is hope. And I think there's hope in the fact that so many people are waking up to the fact that what we eat literally controls our health and that therefore there's so much we can do to have a healthier life by choosing whole foods, good foods, I think pesticide-free foods and organic foods. And so there's a lot we can do. And we also do, as you mentioned, talk in the report about ways to confront pesticide industry, science, denial, and disinformation. And there's lots of things we can do depending on where we sit, challenging scientific journals, challenging journalists and media outlets, corporate influence at universities. And we really provide specific tools to help students, for example, figure out what is the corporate funding at their university and how can they expose that, supporting independent investigative journalism, and standing up in our communities wherever we have circles of influence to talk about these issues, show people how to find good, reliable information and who you can trust, because they're a lot of good sources of information, good dietitians, good organizations putting out important health information, and we have more access to those than ever. So we just have to build and support those communities of influence of the truth and help each other to find the information that can help bolster our own health and look at what we can do to help have a food system that is going to survive into the future. I think we can do it, but things are crazy right now. And I'm so appreciative of people like you, Melinda, bringing the truth to people and helping us to find the sources of information we can trust. Well, thank you so much. And I didn't have time to explore the deep digging and the extensive time and focus it must take to get at the root of the truth. And so depending on organizations, independent nonprofit organizations like yours, is critical to finding food truth. So, Stacy, thank you. We've got to close, but I want to thank our listeners for joining us. Remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn for KOPN in Columbia, Missouri. Most of all, I want to thank my guest, Ms. Stacy Malkin, co-founder and managing editor at U.S. Right to Know, 
which is a nonprofit investigative research group to expose corporate wrongdoing and government failures that threaten our health, environment, and food system. Their latest report, Merchants of Poison, How Monsanto Sold the World on a Toxic Pesticide, a case study in disinformation, corrupted science, and manufactured doubt about glyphosate is a real eye-opener. I will provide a link to that report. Stacy, thank you again for your time and all your work. Thank you so much, Melinda. Have a great day. You too.